Tune in as author and publisher Joshua Schmoody and renowned talk show host Susan Brinder interview authors, artists, business entrepreneurs, political activists, musicians, and academics to discuss what it means to live the high life. A life of total abundance, joy, passion, and fulfillment. A life where your dreams become realities through the empowering medium of knowledge. Learn something new from book publishing and product distribution, public relations, to politics, psychology, and philosophy. If real-world knowledge interests you, then tune in and start living your higher life today. Hi, I'm Joshua Schmoody, and I'm here with my co-host, Susan Brinder, and welcome to another episode of High Life, a show where you can start living your best life now through the empowering medium of knowledge. Today, we have a very special guest. Uh, Mr. Ken, are you on the line? I am on the line. Ken Savin, correct? Is, <laughs> and his name is Kenneth A. Savin. Now, I'm going to, Ken, because you have done so many things in your life, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to just start with what you're doing currently. So you retired from E.J. Lilly, and um, you're currently the director of the Commercial Innovation and Science and Technology Teams at the International Space Station, U.S. National Lab. What an amazing job you've got. Now, because I'm going to be a little unorthodox, I'm going to ask you to tell the audience what you did before that. Uh, uh, before I took this job, I actually was, I worked for a pharmaceutical company, Eli Lilly and Company in Indianapolis. And uh, I came in as a uh, chemist and uh, worked in their discovery chemistry group. But over the years, you know, 20 years of a career, I moved around the company. I I uh, went into uh, process improvement programs. I worked in their development group on product development and product design. I worked in the acquisitions group and uh, bought small molecule um, assets and companies for the organization. And I also worked in their uh, customer-focused uh, marketing area where we looked at designing products for our customers and understanding uh, people's uh, participation, uh, both uh, um, participants in clinical trials and the physicians' part, uh, participation in clinical trials, try to understand um, their experience and how to make it better um, for them to participate. Uh, Can I met you? I should say I met you at the TEDx conference, and there's got to be a reason that they wanted you to be a speaker there. What would you say to our audience was the the reason that you spoke and presented at the TEDx conference in Boca Raton, Florida, recently? I met with uh, one of the organizers, and we uh, were talking about you know careers and experiences and. I was very enthusiastic, I am very enthusiastic about talking about my current uh, job, my current role, and uh, what I do, and who I do it for. And um, uh, and when I described it to him, I also kind of explained that um, it was a passion, a lifelong passion for me, and that uh, he thought this was something we should talk about. So, you fulfilled so your what, passion. What, uh, I was going to ask you, what, what was responsible for your move, you know, from chemistry to space. I mean, it's kind of totally different. I've always, organic chemistry has always fascinated me, but what particularly interested you about this new opportunity? 
Actually, that's a great question. As it turns out, the organization I work for now approached me uh, about uh, five years ago, six years ago, and asked if I would actually do work when I was working at Eli Lilly Company and do work in space. So I um, worked with them and uh, we developed five teams internally within the company and we ended up uh, developing and launching and, and running five experiments on the space station while I was still an employee at that pharmaceutical company. That is so what cool. Is, isn't that? I know. What is the ISS National Lab? How was it created and what does it do, uh, Ken? So, uh, uh, first of all, the International Space Station is um, a, a very complex, probably the most complex thing ever made by man. Um, and it's a, a working laboratory, which is in orbit, low Earth orbit, at about 253 miles above the Earth. And uh, uh, during its development, during the, towards the completion of construction, Congress, U.S. Congress, started to look at it and, and, and decided that they wanted the American people to benefit from this national treasure that we had invested so much money and time and effort in. So what they did was they split it in a kind of a, a virtual way um, into two parts. One part would be run and operated by NASA for the purpose of exploring the universe, you know, doing the things that NASA is charged with doing. The other half would be uh, developed into a U.S. national lab that would be run by a party other than NASA, and it would be done so for the benefit of the American people, so that mm. normal Americans working in industry or academia could submit experiments or things, you know, maybe uh, STEM education-related efforts that they would want to do that had to be done in space, could not be done on the Earth, and they would then be um, enabled to do that type of work. And uh, the organization I work for uh, is uh, charged with running that program for uh, the benefit of the American people. That is awesome. What I just wanted to interject here, Susan. I really got to ask this because space has always fascinated me. Are you familiar with helium three? Um, no. Or have you heard of helium three? Well, um, you know, I haven't done a whole lot of research on it, but it, it was something in the past where it was like an energy resource, and it's it's on Earth, but it's it's a compound that's not in abundance here, but it's actually in greater quantities on the Moon, and it's a, a very powerful energy resource. I, I'm, I don't know. You were just saying doing projects in space. Have you thought about mining things from other planets, minerals that might not be yeah. available on Earth? Yeah. So that is um, the, that's the, the NASA mission. That, and um, that's part of what they're thinking about. And, and what I would really um, have people think about more is when you go to um, a place like the moon, if you're going to go spend time there or maybe to Mars, um, you can't bring everything that you need with you for the entire duration. At some point, you're going to have to utilize what you have when you get there. And NASA spends a lot of time thinking about that. And they, you know, in addition to developing systems that will get them to the moon or to Mars, they also are thinking about what technologies will be necessary to um, just, you know, maybe turn a part of let's say, the, the lunar soil into concrete so that they can build some type of um, protective co uh, covering or, you know, a habitat for themselves. 
So they think about those things. And, and what That's I would awesome. go even further to say is, even though it seems like these are things that may not relate to people on Earth, um, all the technologies being developed that will get us to the moon and on the Mars are things that we will benefit from, just like during the Apollo missions. There's a lot of technologies that were developed that we benefited from. And I, you know, I talked about this in my TED talk that things like a cordless electric power tool, that's a technology that was developed for, um, for the lunar effort for wow. the Apollo mission. But we benefit from those. That's technology that uh, found its way back here on Earth and we use. Yes. You know, Ken, there was a time that people, and I'm talking about like virtually all of America was glued to the TV, watching the Apollo go up and various other uh, space um, situations. And um, they, there was a love and a passion and an excitement that everybody had about space. But it doesn't seem like that exists anymore. Um, what is the commitment by the government to support programs like the ones that you're talking about? And are we going to have something going on in the near future that's going to get people back into that excitement again? And they're going to be watching TV and everybody's going to be just thrilled. Maybe, you know, because of the new technology, they'll kind of experience it on the computer as well. So what's your thoughts about that? So so part of uh, my desire to do the TED Talk was uh, because I do believe we are at a really significant point in our history. Things are happening, and it's it's in a similar way to what was happening back in the very early 60s when, um, you know, we were in a, sort of a race to get people into space and, and perhaps thinking about the moon. Uh, but we're at a point that is just like that. There's a number of organizations, private companies that are starting to get involved in space and trying to make it something that uh, commercially they make a viable business out of it. Not just delivering satellites into space for NASA, but maybe delivering people into space to be mm -hmm. tourists. I think um, at the same time, NASA is starting to gear up. I'm in a, a kind of unique position because I do a lot of work uh, with people from NASA, but I think the public is starting to see it too. There's starting to be a lot of talk about going back to the moon, and that's uh, the NASA project Artemis, and um, using that as a stepping stone to try to go to Mars. And I think we will all, it will start to become a big thing for you know the regular American, the everyday American, but at the same time, it's going to be something that we all get behind and will be exciting in the, perhaps the same way that the Apollo missions were. Yeah, and I was I was going to ask you, you kind of answered that first question in terms of the privatization of the space industry, because I knew Virgin was doing that rocket transport thing, but I think it went kind of badly for them, so they, they kind of dropped out of it. But I'm glad to hear that there are private companies that are willing to invest. Um, two questions. One what do you think the future of space transportation is going to be? Will we be able to launch a spacecraft from space instead of from Earth? That would save us a whole bunch of fuel, a whole bunch of time. Or has there been well, discussion of that? Yeah, so um, I'm not sure exactly what like the plans are for doing uh, uh, longer-term space flights, but uh, there have been a lot of proposals around doing that, about having um, ships that you get up into orbit and then you're able to connect with 
um, and then they take you, they transit you to other places. I think the real challenge still is going to be that at some point you've got to get that material, whether it's that rocket or what have you, into space. And then how you use it over time, you know, um, will save you time and energy and money if it's already up there. But we're still going to have to start launching large payloads into space. And I think you can see that also in a lot of the work that's being done by NASA and uh, SpaceX and others, that they're gearing up to uh, build larger rockets that can deliver heavier payloads and further out into space. Um, I'm curious about this, uh, Ken. Are there experiments being done today that you can tell us about that uh, show that there are uh, satellites and different um, uh, vehicles, if you will, going up into space that we don't know about. Uh, is, does that exist? Uh, is it happening? Like the Black Knight satellite or what? Yeah, it could be virtually anything. I, you know, I don't see much going on, and I don't think the average public sees what's going on. And sort of behind the scenes, I'm just wondering if anything is going on that we don't know about. And we can know well, about. Okay, so so there's um, a couple of things I'll talk about. So one is uh, is um, somewhat unrelated directly to what I do, but um, there's a, an organization called Blue Origin, and um, they um, are uh, kind of being propelled forward by uh, Jeff Bezos, who is their main funder. Mm-hmm. And they're, what they're looking at is um, initially, can we get payloads into orbit for a short period of time. And can we use that ability to have access to microgravity and um, low Earth orbit um, and do things that would happen in maybe minutes, maybe hours in the future, but now they're just doing um, short payload um, delivery. And that um, is something that they do. They've been running those out of Texas and they launched those. Uh, You can go online and see those being launched and recovered. Wow. Uh, at the same time, um, SpaceX, which is another private company, they are launching payloads to the International Space Station, and they have a contract with NASA to do so. Um, there are there's, um, other organizations that do that. And the thing that I would I would point out, just like you said, you know, it's something that maybe people don't recognize is happening, um, but it is really pretty fascinating to watch. They very sophisticated. They are reusable rockets that they are using. And um, they are the way that we get all our food and water and scientific experiments into space. And and the last thing I would say is uh, there's a big push right now to develop larger rockets that will be delivering people. So so right now, for the United States to deliver an astronaut into space, that's done by the Russians. We have to go to Russia and and, uh, we have to pay them to do that. And... Uh, we're hoping that in the next year or so, we will be delivering our own astronauts in this space, something we haven't done since the shuttles were decommissioned. Hmm. Oh, how so, very and, exciting, and it isn't is, it? Yeah, it, it, it really is. And it's, um, I, I think just to your point, it is kind of something that's in the background and people aren't noticing. And for my TED Talk, that was really the purpose was that um, these things are happening. And for me, I was lucky this organization, the Center for the Advancement of Science and Space, which is now called the uh, International Space Station U.S. National Lab, they called me. So I got a call and um, I, I could just be sitting there and it happened. And it's we all have a relationship with space. Whether we know it or not, things are happening and um, they're going to affect us and we're going to, in fact, p- potentially be participating in these. 
and it's you sh- you got to reach out. You shouldn't be waiting for the phone call. Go online and see what's happening. And yep. um, and and the last thing I would say is, you know, my organization, we um we reach out to academic institutes and to commercial businesses in the United States, and we work with them to develop science that will be run in space. Um, that has to wow. be run in space. Couldn't be done on Earth. And it, it, again, done for their benefit so that they can develop commercial products that will make them money or will provide some uh, new service to um, Americans. This is the type of thing that we're doing, and um, I, I think it is invisible to much of America. You know, uh, wow. Kim, what, you're, what you're saying with that, too, this is kind of a side topic, but it relates to it in a major way. You know, the company Alcor, it's like a, I believe it's Alcor, they, they um, cryogenically freeze you if you have a terminal illness or something to resuscitate you later, basically. Well, supposedly, maybe the story was fake, but... There was a story out that's saying they actually resuscitated their first cryo- cryogenically fr- frozen person, and they're alive and well. So, I mean, there's so many applications with that technology and going to other galaxies. I mean, could we cryogenically freeze ourselves and go to another solar system? Yeah, so I don't know. I, um, uh, that's, that's a good question. I don't know if they've, I don't know if they've done it, um, but um, uh, um, I think that is a long way off. Going, you know, to other, you know, um, I think even going to Mars, you know, we're talking and, you know, a lot of these projects are very long term, but I think you're looking at something that's not going to happen for a decade and a half, if not more. Uh, and, you know, just yeah. being able to do that, it's a, um, it's a huge endeavor. Right. And a lot of the technology that needs to be developed to get us to Mars, let's say, it hasn't even been, you know, people aren't, aren't there yet. We're right. years away from being having the technology to al- actually allow us to do these things. You know, instead of fighting um, but, with each other's countries, this we need to just all chip in and, and build something rather than build weapons to kill each other, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at the, the International Space Station, I right. think was a move in that direction, right? Yeah. That's, uh, you know, the, um, uh, JAXA from Japan, they're part of it. Um, ESA, the European Space Agency, contributed awesome. to it. The Russians, the Americans, it's, it, it was a, an international endeavor. And I think perhaps in a way you're right. It's going to, you know, for us to go in some of these longer missions, bigger missions, it's maybe beyond what an individual country should be doing. But right now, I think there's no doubt that the United States is leading the way and, you know, Ken, um, and defining how the path is going to be um, made going forward. You know, Ken, it's very interesting that you brought up Russia because years and years ago in in the 60s, as you mentioned, we were in competition with the Russians. And maybe that was also pushed us forward because we were trying to be the first uh, people in space. And, you know, they were wanted their people to be the first in space. Are we having that kind of are you seeing actually that kind of competition now, which is thrusting us forward to do more than we've been doing in a long time? So um, I don't think it's driving us in the same way, but there there is often talk of um, other countries that are contributing in ways that maybe are specific to that country, right? That we wouldn't have thought of as players in doing space exploration. They just had the international uh, conference, uh, as the International Astronomical Conference in space, and um, you see countries like um, the UAE and Dubai there with um at the expo um doing things that are um that they will contribute to the effort building habitats on 
um, you know, in adverse conditions and things like that. At the same time, there are other countries that do have um, perhaps a competitive um, program to what we're doing, maybe the Chinese. And there, so there always is that type of competition. Even I think the Russians have their own plan. And that's fine. But at some point, um, if we are going to work together, you're right. We're going to have to sit down and say, okay, who's going to do what? And right. um, we'll see for the exploration piece. Right. And what, one yeah. thing I was going to say with the whole exploration, exploration thing, too, is the reason I asked about the other galaxies is because our Hubble telescope has already found planets that are Earth-like or in the habitable zone. So there's very, you know, there's, there's a good possibility that there's other planets that are habitable like Earth. And eventually our sun's going to go supernova, bye-bye Earth. <laughs> so we're going to have to, you know, <laughs> get there somehow. <laughs> yeah, so... So, um, if, so with that as the backdrop, you look at where we are now, we are at the very beginning. Even though, you know, we went to the moon, you know, years ago, we are still at the very first steps of humanity taking um, a look out into the universe and trying to really step out. And um, the things that we do with the National Lab contribute to that. Our, our focus is really back to Earth, right? What are the things that we can use in space and what do we learn from our efforts in space that can be uh, brought back to people on Earth? But at the same time, we're also learning. And there are projects that we do that NASA comes in, hey, we want to be in on that conversation because we think it's going to uh, be significant to what we're trying to achieve as well. You know, you brought up something interesting at the beginning of the show where you were talking about education and that you reach out to universities, to high schools perhaps, and to even elementary schools where kids can really get excited about this opportunity and decide what they want to do when they grow up. You know, because I, I'm sure there was a time where people, to be an astronaut, that was like, oh my God, I want to be an astronaut. Are you finding today that, I mean, most kids, as I know it, uh, say to me they want to go into um, this digital world, they want to plan programs, they want to do things like that, but what about becoming astronauts? Yeah, so uh, we do have a strong a STEM outreach program, and uh, some of these young people, and uh, you know, for me, I, I think it's just amazing. There's high school students, elementary school students, who have run experiments in space. Hmm. That's so it's not just going out and doing, you know, education out there. There are actually people who have designed, young, very young people who have designed experiments that are run in space. And we have a strong program where uh, people can run uh, science experiments in their classroom and do the comparison to that being run by astronauts, the same experiment being run in space. I think the, um, and it's not just the, it's not just students wanting to be astronauts, they're wanting to be scientists. That's, I think, the other piece of it. Where can where can they find that information? Because I'm interested just personally as far as running a scientific experiment in space and the variables. So um, you can always go, you can uh, do a search for the International Space Station, U.S. National Laboratory online, and you can go to our site. Um, our program, Space Explorers, is really our focus point for um, uh, everything STEM-related. Um, and then also contacting our people. We actually, you know, part of our staff is focused on STEM programming, and uh, we do uh, lots of outreach uh, efforts. Uh, there's, there's a lot there, and it's really to inspire young people. You know, we, the, the three of us 
you know, having this conversation here are not going to be the ones that get us to Mars necessarily, right? It's going to be the next generation who are actually going to be the ones who are the astronauts and the scientists and, and do all that work to get us there. So we see that as um, a, a key element of our business is inspiring right. you know, those young people. You know, Ken, um, interestingly enough, my co-host, Joshua Schmoody, uh, runs a company called Lionheart Publishing. Now, as you're talking about this, I know this might be, <laughs> you know, really apples and oranges to our discussion. But you know what I think? Wouldn't it be fascinating to have books, children's books out there that really talk about NASA and talk about all these different programs that you're working with so that they can really get excited and say migrate? grandchild can decide that at some point in his life he would like to be a scientist like you. Um, I'm sure that's something you could get grants for, too, actually. And I tell you, that's a good idea, Susan. <laughs> I can write the children's yeah. books. <laughs> and and there, are some, there are some children's books that are not only written for about space, but they are written um, about the space station and particular <laughs> aspects of our space program. And um, if you go online, I'm pretty sure you can see that some of them have been read by astronauts on a space station and recorded for uh, kids in the classroom. Oh, wow. That's we awesome. Do, we do programs like that. Yeah, so there's some, uh, there's some great material out there. Well, you know, Ken, we've got to a point in civilization where we are either all going to have to get along or we're all going to kill each other. I mean, <laughs> straight up. So, I mean, you know, what do you want to the listeners out there? You know, invest our money in killing each other or invest our money in stuff that's going to benefit our great-grandchildren. That's right. I you think know? it's about yeah. doing the right the, – it's, it's an investment in our civilization. Mm -hmm. That's what we're, we're talking about. Yep. Yeah, Ken, what was the most uh, exciting part of your effort, the most fun? Are you having a lot of fun? Oh, yeah, I'm having a great time. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> you know, you How know, many people for, can for say me, they – come on. <laughs> I know. I know. You know? It's, 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 a, it's a great job. No, the, um, I think for me, um, as a scientist who got into science because of my love for space and astronomy, it's really uh, a great dream. The, the best part for me, though, is when I am in meetings with people from different groups, whether it be other national labs like Los Alamos or people from NASA, and we are working with commercial players from big companies in America or academics, and we're actually able to do fantastic work that's meaningful and will have an impact to, on people on Earth. And some of them are very basic things that, that we um, take for granted every day but are the result of um, spectacular science that's happening in space and um, coordinated with things that are happening on the ground. That's when I, I get really excited and I sit there and go, you know, I really do love this job. And right. I'm lucky it's not even a job, it. really. <laughs> it really isn't, no. No. Yeah, it, it sounds like a beautiful job and a beautiful hobby in a way, um, because you have fulfilled so many different things in your life. Your passion is, and you, the things that you dream about, uh, you're doing, and people as they listen to the show, I hope, um, can understand what the possibilities are for them. Now, we like to let, Ken, we like to let all our guests have the last word, because People remember the last word, so please give them something of that they can take away from the show. So, 
so what I would tell people to do, and I, and I think I, what I'm going to give them is kind of a, a call to action. And what I would say is, um, take a look at what is actually happening. Go online or read a newspaper, see what's happening with NASA and where its mission is headed, and think about what the impact will be on humanity, whether it be um, our attempts to go to the moon or um, put people out into space or to do science in space, but see that um, there is excitement. It's different. It's taken a different form. We're not launching space shuttles and the Apollo missions are, are long gone, but there are other things that are happening and we are at a crucial, really exciting time in a way that I think is similar to the late 50s, early 60s. And now the race is not with, let's say, the Russians against the Russians. The race is our own, right? Right. Where they say the, the, the race is long, and in the end, it's only with yourself. And that's what it is. It's us as a people coming together and mm-hmm. doing great things um, at a great time. So that's what I would tell people. Go out and take a look. Find it. And uh, you'll be impressed and excited by it. Yep. You, you know, I'll tell you something. Um, I never thought about science in this way, but I'm telling you, you've made me so excited. I'm just thinking, oh, which leads me to one last question. Do women get involved in this business? Um, what is the percentage of women as compared to men who are, you know, really doing what you think is just exciting? So um, uh, I think if you look at the um, astronauts, they're, we're coming up on about 50-50. If you look at the scientists who are submitting science to us, it's pretty close to 50-50. It's really um, fantastic, especially with the STEM work and these young people. We, uh, we did a STEM event in Washington, D.C. recently, and um, a majority of the kids who were coming up, they were young girls. So I think the, um, the old sort of stigma of science and math and women not being a part of it, I think you will start to see that that's going away. And um, for a lot of different reasons, but um, it has really become... Uh, gender irrelevant in the science which is fantastic right I've noticed with the internet um, I mean not all people but especially the youth they're getting smarter and smarter some of them because they're using this amazing tool I mean we can share information instantly with the world oh yes oh yeah the internet and yes they've got a huge advantage over what what we had back when I was a young person Mm -hmm. so yeah so and they're much better informed and very sophisticated they come in with um, a much different, uh, much more advanced view of science and the world and what they need to accomplish and the timelines that they're going to do it in. Um, so it's, I think that's fantastic and, and um, it's invigorating. Yeah. yeah. Ken, Ken, if people want to get in touch with you to learn a little bit more about your projects, the International Space Station, the U.S. National Lab, how do they do that? So they can do, they can go online and just uh, uh, do a search. Go to our website um, at uh, International Space Station U.S. National Lab, and um, they can uh, connect uh, through uh, to us through that. Um, and uh, there is a, a place on there where it says, you know, contact us, and they can put a note in there to contact me directly, and I'll I'll talk to them. I'd love to talk to them, and um, I'm you know we're we're always looking for new projects and a new areas of focus. Um, let's talk. Yeah. Well, 
Our guest today has been Kenneth Savin, who is just the most amazing man. And if you want to learn a little bit more about the International Space Station, the U.S. National Lab, he's the guy to go to. So close the show, Josh, if you will. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Ken. This is probably one of our best episodes. Actually, very fascinating, man. And um, I look forward to seeing what uh, what you guys are going to come up with and, and just Hopefully we'll get there, man. Or not hopefully, we will get there eventually. <laughs> we will get there. We will. I got hope. So anyway, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, knowledge is power. Take care. The High Life Show and media by which it is distributed hold no responsibility for the validity or accuracy of information on this site. Listeners and viewers are advised to seek the input of a professional whom represent the subject before acting on any information or advice. The High Life Show and media by which it is distributed hold no responsibility for the validity or accuracy of information on this site or podcast. Listeners and viewers are advised to seek the input of a professional who represents the subject before acting on any information or advice. Thank you.